welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, Castro drops out, the state of the race right now, new fundraising numbers are here, how a lack of polling data has collided with January's DNC debate, the impeachment update, and Buttigieg is no longer mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Here's what you missed today, and kind of from the last few weeks, from the campaign trail. First up today, Julian Castro has officially dropped out of the race. As with all departing candidates, let's take a moment to look back at his candidacy. He announced way back on January 12th of 2019 and spent 355 days in the race. He is the second candidate from Texas to leave the field, and just so I say this up front, I don't think this is the last we've seen from Castro. He is likely to come up as a possibility for vice president or perhaps some other office. Okay, so what did Castro do in this primary race? Well, he spoke out about injustice based on race, sex, class, immigration status, housing status, incarceration status, and more. I covered a bunch of his policy proposals on this show, and they all had a common theme. He used the phrase people first in most of his policies, and he focused on intersectionality. Reading from the top of his policy page, quote, Audre Lorde once said, There is no such thing as a single-issue struggle, because we do not live single-issue lives. This idea lies at the core of my people-first policy agenda. In order to make impactful change, we need to reform and reimagine entire systems, which requires a comprehensive approach. We will propose thoughtful plans to solve serious problems, and put forth policies that connect to form a single vision for the future of this country. Because no problem confronting Americans operates in a vacuum, we will fight for solutions that place these issues in context and understand how they intersect with each other. End quote. Part of Castro's platform focused on immigration, an issue that comes up quite a bit in Texas. Back in the June DNC debate, he handled a question about immigration, and I'm going to play a clip from that debate. It was one of several breakout moments for him that night. At the time, a photograph had just been published showing a father and his young daughter who had drowned, trying to cross a river on the U.S.-Mexico border. Debate moderator Jose Diaz-Balart speaks first. Listen in. Secretary Castro, if you were president today, oi, what would you specifically do? Thank you very much, uh, Jose. I'm very proud that in April I became the first candidate to put forward a comprehensive immigration plan. And we saw those images, (laughs) watching that image of of Oscar and his daughter Valeria uh, is heartbreaking. It should also piss us all off. (laughs) If I were president today, and it should spur us to action. If I were president today, I would sign an executive order that would get rid of Trump's zero tolerance policy, the remain in Mexico policy, and the metering policy. This metering policy is basically what prompted Oscar and Valeria to make that risky swim across the river. They have been playing games with people who are coming and trying to seek asylum at our ports of entry. Oscar and Valeria went to a port of entry 
and then they were denied the ability to make an asylum claim. So they got frustrated and they tried to cross the river and they died because of that. On day one, sorry. On day I'm one, I would do that seconds. executive order that would address metering and then I would follow that up in my first 100 days with immigration reform that would honor asylum claims that would put undocumented immigrants as long as they haven't committed a serious crime on a pathway to citizenship and then would go to the root cause of the issue, which is we need a Marshall Plan for Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador so that people can find safety and opportunity at home instead of coming to the United States to seek it. Castro was the only Latinx major candidate in this race. He is part of the group that made the race so diverse in the beginning. But as the year went on, candidates of color and women have left the field. Reading from an article by Jennifer Medina and Matt Stevens in the New York Times, quote, Mr. Castro, a third-generation Mexican-American who has endured repeated scrutiny over his lack of Spanish fluency, ended his last campaign video with a message to supporters. Ganaremos un día. The translation is offered only in the subtitles. One day, we'll win. End quote. Next up, let's take a few minutes to define where we are in the Democratic primary. Right now, I am still tracking 14 major candidates, but some of these folks have such low poll numbers, it is unlikely that they have any shot at the nomination. Let's break these folks up into a few key groups. Looking at the national polls, there is still basically a three-way race at the very top. Right now, the frontrunner is former Vice President Joe Biden. He has about 28% of the vote nationally, according to a tally by 538. Behind him is Senator Bernie Sanders at about 18%, then Senator Elizabeth Warren at about 15%. These three have been doing well nationally for months now, and in the case of Biden and Sanders, their support has remained steady for basically all of 2019. But that's not the whole story. You win the nomination state by state. So next, there is a very interesting second tier. Again, going with the national numbers from 538, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is at 7.5%, followed by former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg at around 5%, then Senator Amy Klobuchar and entrepreneur Andrew Yang tied at about 3.5%. So within this group, you can see the span of the race overall. We have two candidates who were on the debate stage in December, Klobuchar and Yang, who have one-eighth the amount of national polling support of the frontrunner. Given the number of candidates in this mix, things could still get interesting. There is also still a bottom tier of candidates who have between 1% and 3% of national polling. It ain't much, but it's something. Senator Cory Booker leads that group, followed closely by activist and billionaire Tom Steyer and Representative Tulsi Gabbard. Those folks are in trouble, but might be able to make it to a DNC debate stage one more time. Finally, we have a group of four candidates polling below 1%. Those are former Representative John Delaney, author Marianne Williamson, Senator Michael Bennett, and former Governor Deval Patrick. While you may have a favorite candidate in that group, you should prepare yourself for the strong possibility that they will drop out pretty soon. We are just 32 days away from voting in Iowa. That will have a major effect on this race. And right now, at least as far as we know, more on that in a few minutes, Biden and Buttigieg are tied for the lead in Iowa, with Sanders right behind them. 
That may very well change in the coming month, and you can expect every remaining candidate to work on Iowa, as it is the most visible moment we will see in this primary. If a headline comes out saying, for instance, Buttigieg wins Iowa, that could tip his national numbers and move him firmly into that top tier. So that's the basics. We have two tiers of potentially viable candidates. The top group are all doing well in the double digits, but there are only three of them. The second tier is where a lot of the action is. Bloomberg, for example, didn't exist in polls a few months ago. He wasn't running, and now he is basically in fifth place. But he has never been and may never be in a DNC debate, while Yang and Klobuchar have been, and that has clearly helped them. The work right now is for the top tier to remain the top tier, and the middle tier to try to move up. With just over a month to go before voting begins, all I can say is keep listening. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Next up, fundraising numbers for Q4 2019 are beginning to appear. Now, technically the candidates have until the end of this month to report all their data to the FEC. But if they have their books in order and have a good number to share, they are free to share that early. And as I say this, four Democrats have already announced their numbers. So here's the breakdown. Senator Bernie Sanders is crushing it. He raised $34.5 million in Q4. That is up by almost $10 million since the previous quarter and is likely to be the best number of any Democrat in this field. He also crossed 5 million individual donations, which is, as he said in a tweet, quote, more contributions than any campaign has received at this point in a presidential election in the history of our country, end quote. And fact check, that is true. It's important to note that he's talking about donations, not donors, but he does have lots of donors as well. One key to success for Sanders is getting his donors to give small amounts of money repeatedly. And according to his campaign, 99.9% of his donors have not maxed out their donation amounts, so they can just keep giving. Next down the line, we have Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who raised almost $25 million in Q4. This is a more than 25% increase from his previous quarter, and it's basically the same as his super-duper Q2 raise, which was the biggest in the field at the time, and it marked the beginning of his rise in the field. Next up, we have entrepreneur Andrew Yang, who raised $16.5 million. That is the highest figure he's ever had, 
It's also more than he raised in the first three quarters put together. And it's actually more than Joe Biden raised in Q3 last year. Now, that's not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison, but still, it puts Yang squarely in the upper tier of fundraising. The last Democratic fundraising number I have right now is from Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who raised $3.4 million in Q4. Now, that is her best quarter yet. Though, again, like I said earlier in today's show, it shows the gap between the very top of the field and the lower tier. Gabbard's fundraising number in Q4 is about one-tenth of what Sanders brought in during the same period of time, but they're both running in the same race. I'll keep you posted as more numbers come out, and keep in mind we may have to wait until the end of this month for some of them. Along with that, many of the small details, like precise donor numbers and cash on hand, will not be revealed until after those official filings with the FEC. Okay, one last note, President Trump has outraised all of these candidates with a Q4 total of $46 million. To put that in context, it is slightly better than the number President Obama raised in the same time period of his re-election campaign. All right, let's talk about polling data. While this may maybe change by the time you hear this, currently we are in the middle of a polling drought. By that, I mean the organizations that produce polls that the DNC uses to determine its qualified candidates for the debates have not been running a lot of polls lately. And why is that? Well, probably the holidays, but still. Looking at the latest spreadsheet of these polls maintained by Politico, the last qualifying poll for the upcoming January debate was a national poll ending on December 15th. And before that, the last early voting state poll, which is a vitally important part of this process, ended on November 17th. This presents at least two problems. First, we don't have good data on the state of the race. I gave you the numbers earlier in today's show about the national frontrunners and the great numbers Buttigieg has seen in Iowa. He is also, by the way, doing great in New Hampshire. But those numbers are getting pretty old, at least at the speed of politics. And that brings us to the second big problem, which is that these polls are the basis for candidates qualifying for the January DNC debate. The deadline for those polls to be released is January 10th. And right now, given the major lack of polling data, that is hurting candidates who likely would meet the low end of the polling threshold. But they can only do that if there are actually polls. Right now, we have five candidates who we're pretty sure are qualified for the January debate, and we have eight days to go until that polling deadline closes. The two candidates we saw in December who are not on that qualified list are Steyer and Yang. Both of them have at least one qualifying poll, but those polls are now four to six weeks old. Back on December 21st, Yang sent a letter urging the DNC to commission polls in early voting states. In other words, pay approved pollsters to get out there and do more polls right away. He framed this in the context of the ever-shrinking diversity on the debate stage. Tom Steyer chimed in on Twitter to agree with Yang. After all, both of them stand to benefit from more polling, and both of them are in danger of missing the January debate unless more polling pops up. Well, the DNC replied on December 30th, writing in part, quote, The DNC will not sponsor its own debate qualifying polls of presidential candidates during a primary. 
This would break with the long-standing practice of both parties using independent polling for debate qualification, and it would be an inappropriate use of DNC resources that should be directed at beating Donald Trump. End quote. So, we are officially on poll watch for the next eight days, and it will be a nail-biter for sure. And now, the impeachment news in just about a minute. Not a lot has happened since December 20th, which was the most recent impeachment update segment on this show. At the moment, we are still in a holding pattern. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has not transmitted the articles of impeachment to the Senate. That means we do not yet have impeachment managers appointed from the House, and it also means there is probably some bargaining yet to do about the rules for a Senate trial. It is also entirely possible that the Senate trial might happen real soon now, which could in turn affect the DNC debates in unpredictable ways. On Sunday, the New York Times published an article going in-depth on some new material about the Ukraine affair and who knew what and when. There's a link to that in the show notes, and it gets at the core issue about this trial in the Senate, which is witnesses. Democrats want a bunch of them, Republicans mostly don't, but then again, some Republicans would love to see Joe Biden and his son Hunter being grilled on national TV. So, as always, I will keep you posted as this develops. And last up today, here's a quick item that caught me by surprise. Pete Buttigieg is no longer mayor of South Bend, Indiana. On New Year's Day, the new mayor was sworn in. That's James Mueller. He is Buttigieg's former chief of staff in the mayor's office and a childhood friend. So from this point forward, Buttigieg is technically former Mayor Pete. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, back in the saddle and lots to catch up on. I have a big backlog of stories, and we'll get through more of them tomorrow and next week. Tomorrow we'll talk a lot more about the upcoming DNC debate, which is on Tuesday the 14th. Mark your calendars, that is sooner than you may think. We've also got more on voting issues in Georgia and Texas and some other places. Plus, Iowa added 99 satellite caucus locations. Point being, stay tuned. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to y'all tomorrow. Tomorrow.